Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Man, it is so good to see you guys. Thank you for being here this morning. And we are continuing our series this week in a new series where we're talking about developing the most important thing about you. And what is that? What's the most important thing about you? We kind of summed it up with this statement by A.W. Tozer, this famous theologian pastor who said this, what comes into your minds when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Like it shapes more than you can possibly realize And that's a pretty audacious statement for him to make. Why is that? Why is that true? And here's why it's true. Our perceptions shape our relationships. Last week I told the story about how my wife Leslie and I met and how I had one perception when I first met her. And as I got to know her, my perception changed and so did my relationship. And that's the way it goes with every relationship. That our relationships will never grow beyond our perceptions that we have because our perceptions will sort of be the, the lid or the point at which we are willing to trust or willing to be vulnerable with that relationship. And same is true with God. And I hope that as we go through this series <clears throat> and begin to talk about the different attributes and character qualities of God, that you would just be open to just pray a simple prayer like, God, show me where my deficits are and my perception of you. Show me where I'm, I could really use some help. I could grow a little bit here. I could do a little bit better. And I don't care how vast and how deep your knowledge of the Bible is, how long you've been a Christian, we all have areas of growth in this area. I was thinking about that this week when I got into my car and uh, we're getting more and more drivers at my house. Somebody evidently had driven my car and all my mirrors were a little wonky. You ever get in the car and, and discover somebody else much smaller than you drove your car? Um, and so I'm fixing my mirrors and I thought this is a kind of an interesting moment here. Like think about why do we fix our mirrors? Because we're trying to eliminate blind spots, right? And why do we want to get rid of blind spots? Because blind spots are potential collision places. They're, they're, they're potential areas where we have a deficit in our perception of reality. And if we are not looking and we're not aware of what's happening there, it could be a place where pain and suffering comes into our life because we just, just purely weren't paying attention. We, do, we were not aware of what's happening. And in a very similar way, we can develop blind spots or maybe they've just never been cleared up. The mirror has never been put in the right place when it comes to God. So again, I would just ask you to pray, God, show me my blind spots as we go through this. Show me where I have areas that I need to grow. I need to take some steps towards you and allow you to develop this in my life. So in this series, we're working to clarify your perception of God. And last week, we started by saying that before anything else, God is Father. As a matter of fact, that's the way that Jesus taught us to relate to God. Before anything else, even when he, he said, this is then how you should pray. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, when Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. He says, here's how you're to pray. Our, let's say it together, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? So the, before anything else, you need to understand God is Father. 
You need to look at that as the filter through which all other character qualities and attributes of God need to flow through. He is a father. He's functioning as a father in all these other roles. So today, we're going to zero in on the goodness of God, the fact that he is a good father. He's a good father. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 68. He said, you are, let's say it together, you are good, and what you do is good. Both your person and the things that flow from your person, all the stuff that you do, who you are and what you do is all good. Now, if I can be really honest with you, and this might be partially a struggle that you have, either if you're here or if you're online watching this today, you've probably had this struggle at some point in your life, is that receiving or accepting this character quality of God for many, many people is one of the hardest to accept and to believe. Now, why is that? Let's ask this question. What makes you question God's goodness more than anything else? What makes you question that? Isn't it this reason? Painful circumstances? When you go through hard times, difficult times, I counted up this week, I, I've been doing full-time ministry, uh, or at least part-time to full-time for about 34 years. I've walked with a lot of people through a lot of some of the most brutal things that life could dish out, some of the worst losses and heartbreak. And here's what I have noticed over this, over three decades of doing ministry. I have never seen somebody go through a hard time and come out the other end and say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God anymore. But I have seen many people, at least for a season of time, question God's goodness because the pain was so intense. The hard and difficulty and the struggle of life got so intense. It was very hard to believe. And the moment that we doubt his goodness, you see, I want you to see the chain reaction. We doubt the goodness, then we will stop trusting. If we stop trusting, we do not want to obey. You think about it, even in a human relationship, if you don't think somebody has your best interest at heart, they have got your good at heart, you don't want to trust them. You're not going to follow them. You're not going to go where they lead, right? You're like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not playing this game anymore, right? And this struggle, this problem, is not a new one. As a matter of fact, we can trace it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the conversation that Satan has with Eve, and he comes to Eve and he says, listen, I'll tell you why God told you not to eat of that tree in the garden. He prohibited you from eating from this tree. It's because God is selfish, and what he was implying was that God wasn't good and he shouldn't be trusted and he certainly shouldn't be obeyed. So what was Satan up to? What was he doing here? What was, what was the, the whole kind of mentality or uh, objective here? And we could sum it up with this statement. It was the art of misdirection. And he was certainly the first one to do it, but he's not the last one to do it. Pickpockets and thieves and later magicians have been doing this for literally thousands of years um, doing this idea of drawing someone's attention away, and while they're focused on this one thing, they can take something of value or do something without them even realizing that they're doing it because their attention is over here. In other words, it's playing off of the principle that what we give our attention to, it shapes our reality. In other words, it, it shapes that perception, and it 
really dictates to us right or wrong, false or true, it will dictate a reality. So we always need to really be careful what we're giving our attention to online, social media. Where do we get a steady diet of what? All the time, all the time. It will shape your reality, right or wrong, true or false. It will become your new reality. Always we need to be careful of this. So in this situation in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden, Satan came to Eve and he brings and puts in front of her, hey, what about this one tree over here? The one tree that God prohibited you to eat from, well, you, you, you need to have some of that. Oh my goodness, it is good, you need that. So he took her attention off of the countless other trees in the entire garden that she could eat from and she focused on the one that she couldn't. And while she did this, notice this, this is so powerful, the goodness of God fell into her blind spot, and she forgot about it. And she began to doubt God's goodness. And when she doubted God's goodness, she stopped trusting him, and she didn't want to obey him. And it was in that moment, as she developed a flawed perception of God, notice this, because this is, we're going to talk about it in a minute. This happens to every one of us. Her flawed perception of God. She acted upon it. When she doubted God's goodness, I can't trust him, I'm not going to obey him, I'm going to do for myself, I'm going to be my own God, I'm going to make my choices for myself, I'm not going to consult God, I'm doing it for myself. And in that moment, she chose to sin, plunging herself, her marriage, her family, and the whole human race into sin. Because in that moment, Satan had her distracted so that he could take away the things that she, she valued most, she thought she was going to get even more of. Her freedom went away. Her security went away. She got kicked out of Eden with her husband, right? Her closeness with God went away. All the things that were so precious to her because she was enamored in that moment. Now, before we get too like judgy of Eve, right? Before we get too quick to judge her, let's take a moment to think about the fact that that has happened to every single one of us when it comes to God. And maybe you're there right now. We've ha we have these moments where we get enamored with the thing we can't have right now, or the thing that God is not making possible for you to get to do right now. And we get really frustrated. We get mad. We get like, I want it. This is what I want, and I want to do it right now. And when we get so focused on this, we lose sight of the innumerable things, countless things that God has blessed us with that we can do, that are good. And in that moment, God's goodness falls into our blind spot as well. We start doubting him. We want to make our own choices and this is the time when we are most susceptible to step into sin. And, then, and when we do it, without us even realizing it, freedom goes away, security, closeness with God, and every time sin is chosen, pain and suffering come. It is just a part of the deal. And, and this is the thing that over and over we see Jesus warning against, be careful of the deception, of the lie, that God is good, and there's so much that is going to try to rob that away from us. And 
it's important that and when we're in those moments to remember God's goodness. So I want to just share with you a couple of truths. To help us remedy this problem, I want to share with you some truths about God's goodness, okay? So let me give you a couple of truths. We're going to start with this first one. God's goodness is the standard by which anything called good is judged. It is the standard by which anything called good is judged. Now, to, to illustrate this, I want us to turn our attention to Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, there's this young man that comes to Jesus. A really interesting account here. He's called the rich young ruler. In other words, he has what most people strive for, fight for, long for. He's got youth, probably He's probably good-looking, right? He's got wealth, he's got lots of money, and he's powerful. But yet, with all of that, he knows he has a hole in his heart, in his soul. And it's a hole that he cannot fill with anything else. Nothing else is satisfying, and there's something missing in his life. And he's tried with his wealth, he's tried with so many things, and it's just not happening. So he comes to Jesus, and he asks a critical and important question. And here's what he asks in verse 17 and 18. He says, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Jesus responds, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, I'm gonna take this young man and pull him aside. Hey, come over here just a second. I need to give you a quick theology lesson. And his first question is, how do you know I'm good? How do you know I'm good? Because no one and no thing is good except God. Nothing is, is good except God. In other words, Jesus' point is either I'm not good or I'm God. Like, only thing that is good is that which comes from God. It's not the stuff that just necessarily looks good to you or it feels good to you. But it is those things that finds its origin, its source from God alone. Now I want you to notice, this statement that Jesus is making here has put him not only on a collision course with his culture, but it puts him at odds with our culture as well today. Our culture, and I don't have to tell you this, but our culture that says, hey, if it makes me feel good and I want to do it in the moment, it is good, and I ought to do it. And you will hear people argue the point, and maybe you have before too. If God didn't want me to have it, then it wouldn't be here, right? If God didn't want me to, uh, you know, uh, excess on this, then why is it all available to me, right? This is confusing the existence of a thing with its moral value, with its moral um, you know, content. It is the idea of saying, just because I have the opportunity means that I must do it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I've seen that argument used over and over and over. And this is where Jesus is telling the rich young ruler here, he's saying, listen, everything that is truly good comes from God. And God has a parameter. He has a way in which he wants us to use it that is good. But we get outside of that and we make up our own, then we begin to open ourselves to all kinds of pain and suffering in this life. Now, it's interesting. I was thinking about this week that medical science will tell us that 
vegetables are good for us. Now, am I the only one? Is there anybody here that's got a vegetable or two they can hardly stand to? Not, not, just not put in their mouth, but put on their plate, right? Anybody here? Like, I just, I have a hard time having a love relationship. Thank you. Okay, some very honest people now. Thank you so much. Now, I'm kind of the same way. I have come around because I have a wife that's a great cook, but um, can I be honest? I like warm cookies right out of the oven. And I don't care if they're chocolate chip or they're oatmeal raisin. I'm like, I'm easy to please. I, I, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know what else I like? Sopapilla cheesecake. Have you tried that? Oh my gosh. I'll ask Leslie. She made that for my birthday. That was my birthday cake this year. Okay, I love that. But as it turns out, cookies and sopapilla cheesecake, they're not that good for me, all right? Probably not good for you either. <laughs> and um, it's interesting that the thing that actually is good for us many times isn't always, doesn't always bring nice feelings, at least not at first, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it, sometimes it takes some time. There is an acquired taste and there is time of, of a process of getting used to what is actually good for us. In other words, God is the standard for what is good, not our feelings or our experiences. I've seen this over and over that, um, that there are times where we're going to have to learn how to develop new appetites. And, and I would just encourage you to ask God to help you to begin to desire and gain a new appetite for that which he calls good for you. Because there will become a new level of hunger and desire in your heart when you begin to be nourished with the things of God, the good things that he says uh, that are really good for you. And um, the test of this goodness is its source, not its experience. It's the source, not the experience. And so I just want to encourage you today that when it comes to the good things of your life, that you would begin to say, God, I'm going to look to you as my standard. I'm going to look to your word because you have my best interest at heart, that he is good, and what flows from him is good, and he can protect us from all kinds of, of heartbreak and pain and suffering that otherwise we, would, we don't have to, life's hard enough as it is, right? We don't have to add that to our plate. So there, there's the first, the first truth. Here's the second one. God's goodness can restore and sustain our passion for God. God's goodness can uh, restore and sustain our, our, our passion for God. So let me ask you this. Have you ever struggled to or ever lost your, let me ask it this way first. Have you ever lost your passion for God? You had a season of time, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but have you, ever, or have you ever struggled with sustaining your passion for God? Why is that? Why does that happen? Let me answer it this way. Have you ever seen an ungrateful kid in your life? I'm sure you have, right? Ungrateful kid. How does that happen? That happens almost always it happens as a progression, that the kid starts off with something in their life that is a blessing, it's a benefit to them, but over time it becomes an expectation, right? It becomes a demand to be met in their life. Not a blessing and a benefit anymore, it's a demand to be met. And that we as parents, that if we give in to this, we do our kids a grave disservice because we develop in them a mentality of entitlement, 
And what does that, that entitlement say? It says, hey, you owe me this, mom. You owe me this, dad. You owe me this, God. This is when people go through their life thinking everyone owes them something. It's because they have learned entitlement in the home. Now, the thing is that for most kids, one way or another, at one time or another, they're going to learn that that doesn't work in this world. It doesn't work and eventually they will grow out of it. But here's the thing that's so interesting. Some Christians never grow out of this. Some Christians continue to think that this is the way that the relationship with God should work from now on and stay frustrated a lot of the time that God doesn't jump to it and do exactly what they want. And maybe this has happened to you. They pray prayers like this. How could you let this happen to me, God? How could you let this happen to me? But God would respond this way. How could you live day after day with so little gratitude for all the good I have blessed you with? You are surrounded by an Eden of good things that I have blessed you with, opportunities and people that love you and that care for you and incredible things. You almost never thank me for these things. When Paul was teaching Timothy, how to handle and how to understand this idea of God's goodness as it relates to our gratitude. Here's what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. He says, for everything God created is, let's say it together, is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with, let's say it together, with thanksgiving, right? Gratitude in our heart. In other words, what Paul is teaching Timothy is that the children of God the followers of Jesus Christ, Christians, ought to be the most grateful people in the world, should celebrate and enjoy the goodness of God more than anybody else. You know why? Because we are aware of the fact that this has come from our good Father. It's good. When you see a beautiful sunset, thank you, God, that is awesome. When God brings a random snowstorm to the Brazos Valley. Thank you, God. This is a fun Sunday afternoon. <laughs> it's great. A good meal. Thank you, God. If you're a hunter, thank God for the hunt. If you're a fisher, you love to fish, thank him for it. That's, that's a gift. It's a gift. It's beautiful. And the key to get, going through this life and keeping our passion high, staying engaged with God, is continually throughout the day, over and over, keeping our eyes peeled, keenly aware of God's goodness. It is all around us. We miss it. It falls in our blind spots so much of the time. But the key to enjoying the goodness of God is gratitude. You cannot enjoy the goodness of God without gratitude. You cannot walk closely with him, stay passionately engaged with him, and sustain it over a long period of time without gratitude. It is so critical. It is so critical to our understanding of God, to your understanding with God, with your walk with God, your relationship with him. And as the psalmist said in 107, verse 1 and 2, I love this. He says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord, let's say this last phrase together, the, the redeemed of the Lord, tell their story. To tell their story. That's right. That when good things happen to you, 
Praise God, praise God, and then look for somebody that you can share it with. Praise God, look for somebody you can share it with. You know what this does? It's so cool how it works. It's because it will uplift your soul. It will uplift your heart. And it will also encourage someone else too. It will encourage them because they will get to see through the lens of your perspective, your perception of God is beginning to shift where you're seeing the goodness maybe more now than ever before because you're looking for it, you're asking for it, you're asking God, open up these blind spots, God, help me to see. And when you share it with other people, they'll begin to say, wow, I didn't see that before. Thank you for showing that to me. Thank you for it. Expand, and they may never say it in such a way, and it may take time, but it's beautiful how God will begin to use your newfound, gracious, gratitude-filled perspective to help other people to see God's goodness too. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. We tell it with our mouth. We tell it with our lives. When you accept Jesus Christ, who is rich in mercy, and love and forgiveness that you are willing to tell your story by showing unconditional love, mercy, and grace with other people, especially in painful times, painful circumstances, and especially, like Jesus modeled, loving unconditionally even your enemies. This is one of the things that set Jesus' teaching apart from any other religious leader in all of history, he said, love everybody, even your enemies. And when you do that, you show forth the goodness of God and you will understand it at a deeper level than you ever did before. This is part of telling your story to a world that desperately needs to hear it and to tell the goodness of God. Here's the last truth I wanna share with you. God's goodness is seen in his love by which he identified with sinful humanity. Let me ask you a question. And this is a, a deep, I'm gonna hit maybe a nerve with some people and those of you who are watching this online, maybe you have had the same question too. But have you ever struggled with the question, would God really save somebody like me? When you begin to think about all you've done, the stuff that's come out of your mouth, the stuff that you have thought in your head, you've dwelt on, the stuff that you've entertained, that you filled your mind with, stuff that you watched, would God really save somebody like me? Maybe you're convinced that, that God, his salvation is really for everybody else, but not for you. It's, it's not for you. If you have ever felt that way, you have ever struggled with that question, this verse I'm about to share with you is for, especially for you. It's for you. Romans chapter eight, verse 32 the Apostle Paul writes this, he who did not spare his own son, he's talking about the good father here, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, Paul is saying, you think that Jesus is going to give his life for you? And then when it comes to the moment of him giving his gift of salvation, he's gonna go, nope, sorry, I'm not doing that. <laughs> He's going, no, not how it works. And every other thing that you need to live out the rest of this life in a love relationship with Jesus Christ, with this loving, good Father, he will provide it all. Later, as Paul writes to the 
church in Philippi, he says that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will provide. He is good. He loves you. He's not going to withhold. That God has literally given his life, given his son so that you and I may be forgiven, that we would see his goodness and we could walk in it, we could live in it. I love that. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, David wrote in the 23rd Psalm. His goodness, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, he wants that for you. Are you open to it? God offers this kind of forgiveness. He offers this kind of a life, this kind of goodness to us because he is goodness. He is the essence of goodness. He is the source of goodness. And he's the only one who's got it. How will you respond to it today? Here's the prayer I'm asking you to pray with me. Father, thank you for your goodness. I commit to take time daily to focus my attention on the blessing of your goodness, to thank you for them, and to share your goodness with others, to take a moment to share that. Thank you for your undeserved love and grace. And right now, I want to ask you, invite you to pray with me. And in this prayer, I'm asking you to make a commitment to say, in light of God's goodness, I'm going to start carving out time every day. Maybe it's just while you drive in the car, maybe it becomes more intentional. Maybe it's like the moment you get out of bed. I know for some people this works great. You just slip out of bed, get down on your knees, and thank God for the goodness he's already given you. Before you even jump into your day, thank you, God. I got somewhere to go today. I've got purpose and meaning for my life. I have, uh, I have people that are depending on me. I have uh, a, a job. I have opportunities. I've get, been given an education. I've been blessed to live in a country um, where I can do these kinds of things. I've, I've been blessed to be your child. I've been blessed to have this conversation right now. I can speak to you about these things. Thank you, God. You, you begin to open yourself up to the goodness of God. You'll be flooded with more things than you can say. It's amazing. God, help bring to my mind all of your goodness, and it'll be amazing how you'll begin to think about those things and, and then share that with other people. It will be such an encouragement And for those of you who are here today and you've never received his undeserved love and grace, today's the day, right now is the time. I want to encourage you, whether you're at home or you're here in the room, that you would be willing to just say, God, I'm open. I I want to receive your forgiveness. I ask you to come into my life and be my forgiver of sin and the Lord of my life. And I'm trusting when you died on the cross for, for the sins of all humanity that that was for me too. And I'm asking your forgiveness and that you would lead my life from this day forward. And I trust you because you are so good. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.